This is Belonging, a podcast that explores being alive in the age of loneliness. I'm your host, Becca Piastrelli, a writer, mother, and community tender currently living on the ancestral lands of the Coast Miwok people in present-day Marin County, California. In this show, we explore topics like rites of passage, cultivating meaningful community, seasonal and cyclical living, and what it means to be a good ancestor in these times. I have thought-provoking conversations with friends, teachers, elders, and ancestral medicine keepers to help support you in bringing more meaning and connection to your life. I also pop in here and there to share updates and learnings from my own story, because we were meant to do this together, cosmically holding hands as we walk the spiral of life. You can expect to be challenged by new or old ideas, face your beliefs and what systems informed them, get curious and brave to tell the truth about the deeper, harder things, and feel comforted in the knowing that you don't have to navigate it all alone. Hello and welcome to Belonging, the podcast. I'm Becca Piastrelli, your host of this podcast, your guide for these deep and sometimes not so deep, but helpful, hopefully, conversations about what it's like to be alive in these times, grappling with our needs, our desires, what is missing, and how to meet that need that all of us have to feel belonging to feel connection, to remember who and what we come from. If you're new here, I realize I've been saying welcome back, but maybe you are new here. So hi, I'm Becca. I have lots of episodes in the back catalog of this podcast. If you go to belongingpodcast.com, where I talk about a whole range of topics, and you can also very much hear my own journey. You can also hear the journey of this podcast and what I thought it was going to be and then what it became. So if you're liking these episodes, um, and I get messages from folks often about um, discovering the older episodes, they are there for you. Maybe I'll do some re-releases over the winter break. We'll see. But you are most welcome here. Thank you for listening. Nameless, faceless ones that exist I'm just picturing you in my mind as I'm sitting here alone in my little she shed of my dreams with a heater blast in, um, looking at my face on a computer and just like, oh, this is a transmission out to hearts, souls, and minds who are interested in the same things I'm interested in. So I was going to do a little check-in because I really feel this, I'm recording this intro. It's like mid-November, 2022 in the Northern hemisphere where I live. It is, we're on the other side of that gosh dang stupid time change, (laughs) which I disagree with uh, because it hits your body so hard. And now the sun is going down early and I can really feel my energy plunging like the sap in the trees, plunging to the roots, plunging underground, the release of the leaves, and then the plunging of the sap of the energy of the literal sugars down into the roots. I've been getting my stews and sweet potatoes on, my bone broths and all the things. And also I have been 
contending with feeling like I'm bad and wrong for being tired. And sure, sure, sure. There's like science and stuff and nutrition and all the things that I'm working on to try to like build up energy because I have been a fatigued woman for many years and maybe for the rest of my life. That's one of the things I'm contending with. Would it be okay if I was a tired person forever? I think it actually would be, I'd be okay. And there's a real sense, I think, with the time change that happens for a lot of us. It depends where you are on the planet, what the sky looks like and when. Here in Northern California, it gets pretty dark around four or five, and it has been giving me anxiety. It's been giving me anxiety about not getting enough done when the sun goes down because I have this real ancestral primal urge to like, be done when the sun goes down. It doesn't feel right to me to be like, off doing all my things when the sun goes down. It feels like a ceremony. It feels like a thing, a ritual. That, okay, we're complete. We're resting. We're nourishing ourselves. We're reading books to our babies and singing songs in the moonlight and going to bed. So I just feel like this happens every year and I've been low-key shaming myself a little bit about that. What the heck? about how, oh, it's another late fall and look at you. You're just like not surrendering into winter with ease and joy. And then I remember, (laughs) we are creatures of habit. We are living in systems that we can't fully opt out of, but we can criticize and change what we can. So I'm working on remembering that we are in the slow descent towards the darkest night winter solstice coming up in the Northern Hemisphere, and that what is done is done. It's time to start wrapping up. And it's all good. It's all good because the body and the earth knows and they are one and the same. So that's where I'm at. So like, what am I doing in the dark times? The sun goes down. Atlas, my daughter, has real is really into singing now, particularly Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. We have beautiful renditions every day, various renditions. She thinks it's real tricky and funny to change the words. Sometimes it's like Twinkle Twinkle Little Elephant, Twinkle Twinkle Little Trampoline. And then she laughs so hard, and I'm just like, you are so funny. You are fine. You have found humor. You are a human being who stepped into humor. That makes me very happy. I've also been getting my TV on. I'm trying to make it known that I am not a person who knits by the fire every night, although that's definitely on the vision board. But um, I've been watching. I even feel a little hesitation. Why? Okay, no, it's time to tell the people. I I listened to this one podcast where they call the listeners readers, dear readers, like Bridgerton, dear readers. This is what I've been watching. Uh, The Crown, hello, The Crown. We're getting into the Diana years, wondering how, wondering how, honestly, how Harry and William are doing with it. And if they're watching, they're probably not, but are they? Maybe they are. Um, The Vow season two about the Nexium cult. If you know, you know, I really enjoy listening to and watching content on cults. I think to be in the space I'm in of spirituality and ritual is to be cult adjacent and to be aware of, you know, the fungibility, the 
plasticity, the fragility of the human mind and soul and its yearning to belong. So those are like the frames I wear when I watch these shows, but this one's pretty shocking, shocking what these women did and how they were manipulated. Again, if you know, you know, if you don't, you don't have to add it to your list. We got too much on our list anyways. And then White Lotus on HBO. Again, if you know, you know, season two taking place in Sicily, wanting to live in Sicily now forever, which I find to be a whole commentary on what happens to human beings on vacation. And like, we all dream of rest and also like the difficulty and what happens to the human mind when it's not in the act of doing. And I love how White Lotus sort of touches upon like carnal desire and choice of whether to give into that carnal desire. And then also just like incredible characters and commentary on relationships and sex and money and class privilege and all the things. So what are you watching? What are you listening to? And if you're crocheting by the fire, that's amazing. My mending basket is a call in my name. Should we get into today's episode? It is a conversation with the one and only Waverly Davis. Waverly Davis is so cool. She's a multi-dimensional twin mama. Had two babies at once. She's a facilitator of sacred spaces and sounds, an artist and a podcaster. She has this rad podcast called A Wave Away. And I was interviewed on it. The name of the episode is Belonging and Beyond with Becca P. Estrelli. And then we loved it so much. We're like, let's just keep going. So like that was part one. This is part two. She lives outside of Charlottesville, Virginia, in the Blue Ridge Mountains on unceded Monacan territory. And in this episode, we discuss how we incorporate the sacred into motherhood by embedding rituals into our daily lives and threshold moments. This is a very deep interest of mine as a mama of a two-year-old who really felt like ritual and the sacred was sort of like pulled out from underneath me for many reasons. And being seen, I literally wrote a book with the word ritual in it, being seen as the ritual woman. And then people asking me, how do you do it with your child? And I'm like, no, no, you tell me. I don't know. <laughs> you tell me how to do this. Because often ritual for me is very personal and fills my cup in a lot of ways so I can go back to mothering and working. And so I wanted to talk to Waverly, who's ahead of me on the motherhood path about how she like real deal does it. Um, she shares her birth story, how a plant ceremony called her to a more sacred life. And then we journey through her rituals and practices for tending to her ner- nervous system in challenging moments and how she co-creates sacred space with her kids. And it's so sweet and beautiful and very inspiring for those of you who do have the kid thing going on for you. And for those of you who don't, I think there's a lot of powerful wisdom in here as well. So let's roll on over, pop on over to this really joyful and nourishing and just lovely chat with Waverly Davis. Waverly Davis, hello. Welcome to Belonging. Hello, hello. Oh, it's so good to be here with you. So just to give context to folks listening, I met you because you reached out to me to be on your podcast, A Wave Away with Waverly Davis, and we will link to that episode in the show notes. It was one of the most 
enjoyable conversations I've had in a while, just like with a human in general. And I just found your presence to be really enchanting and nervous system soothing. And I also had more questions for you. So it's almost like that was part one. And you can go to that episode, go to a wave away podcast and look up the conversation with Becca P. Australia. We'll link it in the show notes. And then this is like part two. We're Yay. just going to keep keep chatting. <laughs> yeah. Keep, keep chatting. So you are a mama. You have twins. They are seven? Seven, yes. Seven years old. So I just feel like in awe of you being a mother of two babies that came out at the same time. And that it's been seven years since then. And you have like really woven your life and your spiritual practice and like the, the logistics, the like hard things, the mundane things, the like real life things into your life as a mother. So I come to this conversation with like a real curiosity and sort of like humbled, like, okay, I'm only two years into this journey. And I find one of the questions I get is like, how do you do your spiritual practice as a mother? And I'm like, I don't really have a good answer for that. (laughs) I like try things and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. So um, all that said, I'd love to hear from you about your motherhood journey, whatever comes through. And then let's weave our way towards the sacred and motherhood and real life all woven together. Yes. Thank you, Becca. I'm so honored to be here with you. Like you said, the first conversation was so nourishing for me as well and really filled me up. So I'm super excited to continue it. I think I'd like to begin by just sharing a little bit of my birth story, if that's okay, just to help kind of begin where it all began, or or at least where one layer of it began, right? And th- this is probably really relatable for a lot of moms and parents. I started out finding out I was pregnant, went straight to the midwife, planned the home water birth, no meds, that the thought, the whole thing, had it all ready to go, so to speak. And then I found out at 13 weeks that I was pregnant with twins. And my midwife was like, well, I've delivered some twins, but not a lot. So, and I was like, okay, Mm. that doesn't sound super comforting. So I ended up switching to an OBGYN at a hospital who I know very well. And super easy pregnancy was squatting around, walking, like really it was like, I had some morning sickness, but like, that was it. It was the craziest thing. I was like, oh, I could just have twins in me forever. Like, I feel like my body was made to do this. And then at 37 weeks, I went in for an ultrasound and one of my twins, Matilda, wasn't moving. Her heartbeat was fine. Vitals are fine. But with twins, they often freak out about everything. It's considered high risk, even though it naturally occurs in the body. So I went in on Monday morning for an ultrasound that Monday night. I had a C-section and it was, yeah, it was chaos (laughs) to the max. My son was put on intravenous antibiotics for a week straight from birth. I wasn't able to breastfeed him right away. It was, you know, we were in the hospital for a week. It was, you know, and I, and I, 
also want to honor that I know many other parents have much more challenges that than that with their with their birthing experience, but it felt really challenging for mm. us. Um, so finally went home after I think it was five or six nights and you know, the first night it was okay. And I was like, Oh, this is so much better than the hospital. Like we got this. And then the second night they were both up screaming the whole night and I just sobbed the whole night and just was like, we don't got this. (laughs) Like nowhere near got this. So really struggled through the first three months. And then it came to a point where my husband was like, you need to do something or I'm going to call the doctor. I was just very withdrawn, very anxious, really challenging postpartum. And I ended up going on Zoloft for a bit of time, again, wanting to normalize that experience for people Mm -hmm. who also have that. And it helped me. I was on it for like only a few months and then, you know, found my way, but my, you know, went off of it and, and, you know, that was that. And it helped me a lot, but my, all that to say my kind of entry into motherhood was very chaotic and and overwhelming. And I always say to people with postpartum, I, I constantly felt completely alone, even when I was in a room full of people who were tending to me and talking to me and caring for me, I still felt completely alone. And I don't still to this day don't know why or like what that was, but it was just my experience. And I also could not see that things would ever be different. I thought, oh, I'm going to have two babies attached to my boobs constantly forever. Like this is the future. And I always thought I want to go back. I want to go back. I don't, this isn't what I want. And I couldn't see that it would change. Like my rational mind knew it would change, but something inside of me was like, no, this is how it is forever. So that all that to say, that was really challenging, but they grew older. Time went on. Things got easier. As you said, they're seven now and things are much, much easier, but I just want to normalize and speak to how chaotic and overwhelming and intense that first chapter was because it, it was survival each day. It really was. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I always, I just want to hear every person's birth story. It's so healing to share it and to hear it. And it's so true, that feeling of being alone. And it's like existential. It was true for me. It was Mm. true for me. Mm -hmm. I just visited a friend yesterday who just had her second. Her first is Atlas's age. And then she went right into the second and we were just like crying together in the bedroom and we didn't even have to say why. <laughs> it was just like, let's cry. Yes, yes. This is so intense. And yeah, I talk a lot about revillaging and I wonder how much of that is like me processing my trauma of being a postpartum woman in this modern era. And also I was postpartum in early pandemic. And I just like wonder, did our ancestors who like had some semblance of a village feel that aloneness too. Like the rite of passage, right? This rite of passage that now like they say matrescence, they like scientists and psychologists say like is many years long. It's like it the identity shift takes a long time. Like that passage is not stepping over the doorway and like birthing your children. It's like 
a gradual un like untying the knot and then weaving the new threads of of mother whoever however you want to identify and i just like wonder if like that's also something we're feeling i'll just wonder for the rest of my life like how much of it is like a symptom of the pandemic how much of it is a symptom of birth trauma how much of it is a symptom of being in a villageless society or how much of this is actually like my initiation yes and we don't for me with the postpartum period I didn't have ritual in my life then. I didn't have sacred space. Oh. I didn't have ceremony. I didn't come into all of that until my twins were about two when I first started going to ceremony and, and learning really? from indigenous peoples and plant medicine and things like this. That didn't come until they were two. So I think for me, a lot of the overwhelm and intensity was that I hadn't found that yet. You know, not only did I not have the village constantly surrounding me, but I also didn't have that rootedness in ritual. And so I didn't have what felt like a rite of passage. I didn't have a conscious experience of that. <laughs> Let's say it that way, you know? And I think if I often think about if I had been who I am now when my twins were born what how different would the experience have been right the eternal question like (laughs) who knows but yeah I I feel like the subconscious in me the the something that's super deep in my bones was longing for that village and that ritual and rite of passage and it wasn't there in the way that you know humans have had for most of humanity and so I think that led so much to a lot of the overwhelm and intensity of my postpartum time. So then what called you to ritual when your twins were two? Yeah, it's a great question. <laughs> a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Honestly, though, one of my friends, I mean, I had done some yoga and meditation, things of this nature, a very surface level. And one of my best, best soul friends on the planet was like, I'm going to ayahuasca ceremony. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, oh, I don't really know what that is, but I guess I'll just join and see. So I was literally. Whoa, that's like zero to a hundred. Yeah, it was, it was like, my soul was just like, buckle up. We're, we're going to do this now. (laughs) So I just, yeah, I went not knowing again, not knowing much about it, but was you know, incredibly changed by this medicine and this experience and then continued to to go to additional ceremonies and learn from different peoples. And it all built on that. But yeah, I really dove head first. So the plants, it sounds like mm-hmm. the plants called you. Yeah, yeah. In a, in a deep way. Yeah. And ayahuasca is not something I have. I have not been called by the grandmother, as they <laughs> <Yeah>. say. Yeah. <laughs> My partner has. I haven't. I'm where I'm where psilocybin and I are in partnership mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hear it's like an ego death kind yeah. of a thing. I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about what happened for you, but I am just so curious just like in this, just to orient us contextually to like yes. two-year-old twins, chaos, traumatic birth. <laughs> I think I'll go to an ayahuasca ceremony. What happened? Yeah, it sounds so wild when you say it. But yeah, that's truly what it was. I think I just was like, 
I had twins, so I can do anything. Like, bring it at me. Like, I'm here. Let's go for Mm. it, you know? And Mm. what happened is that I had visions of that village that that we're speaking of. I had village around. I had visions of the fire, of the stars, of the open plains, of mountains, and women sitting in circle, breastfeeding and drumming. Like, I was like, oh, I remember now. This is what it is. Oh, wow. And it just brought me straight there. And I was like, oh, I maybe I don't have this every day in my quote unquote 3D real life, but Mm. I can return to this feeling. I can return to this memory. I can return to the past lives that I've had. I can return to the experience of the village around the fire with the women and the drums and all of it. I can close my eyes and go there instantly now. And I still do today, you know, so what a five years later, however long, but it, it really, the medicine and that whole experience, it, it helped me remember that I, that Ugh. I have had that. Maybe I, you know, not in this life, in this exact moment, but I've had it before and I remember what it feels like. And so in that sense, it was like, being in the womb, you know, I've done a lot of sweat lodges too. And it's that same feeling of just like being in the womb of the earth and like remembering that we're held there. You know, it's, it's that, that warm, comforting feeling. It helps Mm. me remember that. Mm, I can relate to that sense of remembrance. That's how I phrase all my work is like remembering the parts you've lost, remembering who you are, remembering what you've come from. And it's like a very esoteric out of the box way to put it. And um, I sort of always think about those skeptics who are like curious, but like that doesn't make sense in my Western mind. (laughs) Totally. It's just so beautiful that we can, you know, support and honor indigenous people who are preserving and um, continuing the lineage of indigenous wisdom, because those of us who are descended from, from Europe uh, have really lost that through the, through the practice of um, capitalism, colonial um, empire. It's like in us though. And it's just really, really, really ancient, but it's, it's in ourselves. And so um it's beautiful to have these experiences, whether it's with the plants or for me, it was like with like nettle and rose tea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like in these moments of like, yeah, waking visions, I would say the waking dream of being like, wait, we used to all do this together. Like, wait, we knew how to birth, baby. we knew how to prevent pregnancy. We knew how to give abortion. We knew how to heal um, sickness. We would honor each other's deaths reverently. We we did this together, and it's just like this deep, full body sensation of like home. That's like the best word I can find. Yes, yes. You know, yes. I don't know if you have another word for it. Of just like it's a it's a deep, satiating feeling of like. Because I think a lot of us are searching, you know, for what? Mm, That's a whole other conversation. But there's something about that vision that feels compelling. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It is home. And it's, for me, it's also like an acceptance of wholeness, you know, like 
One thing I, I'd love to speak to in this conversation too is the overwhelm of the younger years and the newbornhood and all of that. Everyone always says like the challenges don't go away. They just shift and change. Yeah. And so it's yeah. been so as, as my kids have gotten older, once they kind of came to age four, it all shifted and changed in a whole new way. And I think that's when I really was confronted with a lot of this idea of like motherline trauma, ancestral, um, generational trauma, because I could see that some of the ways that I was reacting to my kids and situations that were happening in my family unit didn't feel like they were coming from me. If that makes sense, they felt, they felt like they were from something bigger and much older than me. And I just, one of the like examples that I still like is, is intense on my heart today is, is like this journey of learning not to be so reactive with my kids. And as they have, you know, gained their own independence and, and their own ability to negotiate with me, to talk to me, you know, to, to say no to like that whole, navigation of boundaries, navigation of them having their own independence and me having to learn how to let that unfold and be more responsive and less reactive has been hugely challenging. And I'd love to read, if it's okay with you, a little passage from Shakti Woman by Vicki Noble, who I'm sure many of you know and love. She also created the Mother Peace Tarot deck, which is amazing. But I read these two little snippets that I'm going to read here today. And it, it just, it was the first time I had heard someone say this out loud. And it was the first time that I admitted, oh, I struggle with that too. Mm -hmm. And it just changed everything. So I'll, I'll just quickly read it here. Sometimes when I heard myself yelling at my children, it seemed as if some terrible mother much worse than my own mother, who was not abusive, lived within me and got activated at times in reaction to the behaviors of my daughters. My stress level and the sense of being out of control led to scenarios that I felt had been invented by someone other than myself. Or I would have flashes of my real mother's voice or hear myself mouthing words that had once come out of her mouth that had absolutely nothing to do with my current situation. I even recognized that my own mother must have repeated whatever patterns and beliefs she had learned from her mother and so on back through the ages. It was a horrifying vision, hopeless conditioning with no end in sight. And then a few pages later, she goes on to say, Oh, and this is the part that really gets me. Mm. I used to fight with them much of the day, then sit by them while they slept and weep for all of us. I don't know if any love hurts as much as a mother love when you can't live up to what you know is necessary to the growth and well-being of your child. I just like almost sob every time I read those words and that when she says I used to fight with them all day and then sit between their beds and weep, I've done that. I've done that more days than I would like to admit. And just when I read that, I just was like, oh my God, other mothers also have 
been here. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Like talk about shame dissolve, right? Like it was just like, and you know, that again, that reactivity, it's still something I'm constantly learning. And it's a, it is something that comes with my lineage, with my mother line, you know, it's something we probably women in my line have journeyed with for many generations, possibly. But just, I just wanted to read that because I feel like there's probably other moms and parents out there listening that maybe that can help take some of that shame away too. Hmm. So you're saying that that reactivity feels familiar in your body. So what I'm hearing you say is like, we're talking about remembering the ways we used to be communal creatures and the way we used to connect. And then there's also a remembering of like the patterns that have moved through that we really want to come to end, but we're, but a part of that, maybe this is like the shadow side. Like, I don't know. I see so much, so many memes about like breaking the wheel and it ends with me. And this is not going to, I'm not going to pass this on to my children, which is like a really beautiful and powerful sentiment. And then there are the moments where you witness yourself in the pattern. Oh yeah. It's for me. It's like, I, I, I'm looking down at myself. Like I'm up on the ceiling and I'm looking down at my body in the moment, like whether it's yelling at the kids or whatever the situation. And I literally say, Oh, there you go again. It's happening Mm -hmm. again. Look, see, you know, it's, it sounds like a psychedelic experience, honestly, to say it out loud. And like, maybe it kind of is even, but it really, that yeah that reactivity and i think the reactivity is is very much connected to and rooted in not only the ancestral generational stuff but also the lack of the village you know and yeah. when we had the village if i was having a super triggering moment my nervous system haywire i i'm super reactive one of the aunties or sisters would swoop in and say hey let me let me take them you go take five minutes and put your bare feet on the earth or drink some water now it's like okay i'm in this house in this neighborhood my partner's at work it's just me and the kids like what (laughs) you know like there's no one swooping in and not to say like we shouldn't be able to handle challenging situations on our own to some degree, because of course we should be able to. But I think had we had that village around us to swoop in at least some of the time more often, that reactivity, at least for me, feels like maybe it wouldn't be so present. And like you said, with the shadow, it's for me, it's not about getting rid of it. It's actually about learning to honor that part of me and and take it inside of me and and hug it and say it's okay we're working through this I'm doing the best I can day by day you know I don't have to cast this part of me out I can welcome it in and also what I remind myself probably every day but mostly in the hard moments is and I Maybe to some it will sound bypassy, but for me it feels true that my twins' souls and my soul chose this life together. This is the work we chose to come to do together here on earth, this go round. And so we know what we're doing. We're teaching each other. We're learning together. And we can 
have the tools and resources to repair situations, you know, when we need to. And like, I find someone once told me that as a parent, caregiver, mother, your nervous system only needs to be regulated and co-regulating with your kids 30% of the time for like secure, healthy attachment. Hmm. What? Like, why do they not tell you this at the hospital? Or like, why is something, you know, like, oh my gosh, that gives me hope too. Like, yes, we can repair and, you know, we don't have to be doing it perfectly all the time. I have to remind Mm. myself of that a lot. Yeah, the like stealth martyring that (laughs) is conscious mothering. Totally. Like we're just trying so hard to do it better and we just have so much more knowledge and now we know about secure attachment and now we know about like the impacts of processed foods and now we know about screen time and now we know it. And, and it, what does it do to us yeah. as the often sole caregivers of a human? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who does it hurt us? Yeah. It's a really, it's a dance it's a total dance. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering, you said you give yourself a hug. I'm wondering if there are any other practices you do for yourself. I mean, I'm wondering about your practices in general, but particularly around those moments when your mothering, your mother line is activated in that way. Yeah. Thank you so much for asking that. It's been so huge for me. So yeah, that inner child tending is huge for me. Like, like, picking my seven-year-old self up, which is the age when I was my kid's age and just reminding her that she is safe, we are safe. Mm. That's huge for me. Also, just like saying, guys, I need a minute and just putting my, stepping outside and putting my bare feet on the earth and just Mm -hmm. taking a deep breath (laughs) and looking at the sun, putting my hands. We have this huge tree right next to our front porch, putting my hands on the tree Breath. I mean, gosh, can one deep breath shift everything or what? (laughs) When when I remind myself, oh, wait, I can breathe. And then like the outcome of this is probably going to be way different. Yeah. (laughs) So one deep breath is huge. And also like in the moments when I don't fall back on my tools, I don't fall back on being resourced and I yell or do the thing I don't want to do taking time to make that repair with my kids and sitting down and saying, Hey, I'm a human. I'm sorry that happened. I'm very overwhelmed. I was very overwhelmed in this moment. And I, you know, it didn't, that didn't happen the way I wanted it to. And I'm going to try better next time. And, you know, I'm here to talk about it. Like that is everything, you know, like that just doing, and I, and I don't remember to do that every time either, you know, but I try and um yeah i know you you had said you were also curious about like practices that i involve my kids in as well yes, so like yeah. those are that you know the the things i just spoke to are like the triggered moment practices <laughs> like yeah. what do i rely on when what i rely on when i'm in those challenging moments but when i'm not in the challenging moments mm-hmm. and i you know i want to co-create sacred space and ritual with my kids i've been doing that since they were super young like ever since i started with working with plant medicine i immediately roped them in and 
not, not, not to plant medicine, but, but like that was the beginning of our spiritual, spiritual journey together as well. And so from super on, super early on, we would pick flowers from the garden or even get flowers from our local market and make offerings with them. They love to do like any kind of mandala type shape offering, offerings and letting them place the flowers and talking about why it's important to give back to the earth, even from like age two, three, I'm, I'm remembering back to this one time at the side of the river and we had all colors of daisies and we laid them all out in a circle. I think it was like summer solstice or something of around then. And we put them all in a circle and admired how beautiful they were and just talked about, you know, like just the beauty of the earth. And then we picked them all up. I just felt in the moment that I wanted to pick them all up and have us send them down the river. So we took apart this beautiful creation we had made and we sent it on to nourish someone else, to bring beauty to someone else's life. And so we literally just plopped each flower and watched it float down the river. You know, it can be, can be as simple as that. And, and, and one thing I, would like to do more, but try to do most nights is at dinner, just saying, we like to say one thing we're grateful for from the day and one thing we could have done better with from the day, not to shame or blame or anything, but just to like, humanize ourselves, you know, to like, Mm -hmm. be, be okay making mistakes and like, be okay with sharing about hard times with each other, that that doesn't have to be like a shameful thing or something to hide. So that's, you know, lighting candles at dinner, like my kids freak out over candles. Like if you you light a candle at the dinner table, it's like instantly a, like a ceremony. It's like, it's like, I don't know, it's fire. I don't know if it's element of fire, what it is maybe something in their astrology, but they, it's just as simple as lighting a candle, you know, that can change everything. And then on the, on the like other end, I started incorporating them into my moon blood ceremonies and offerings and, and giving them a jar of the blood to offer to the earth and showing them the blood, talking about it, why it's sacred, why it's important. And, you know, that's huge for me. Like, I don't want there to be shame for my son or daughter around menstruation. And I want them to know just the beauty and and the ceremony that it is, you know, so we do offerings with that with flowers and, and also just like, going outside at night and looking at the moon and saying, hello, grandmother moon, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like, and and like, we were walking to school the other morning, and the moon was out and we, you know, saying hello, grandmother moon. And I was like, you know, guys, if you ever feel alone, you can just look up at the moon and know that you always have someone there with you, you know, and just little, little moments like that. Oh my gosh. I have so many questions. First of all, <laughs> thank you. I'm like, my mind is spinning. Oh, this like, as you know, I, I, I keep having this thing, like she's not old enough yet to do these things. And I'm like, that's not true. Like, that's not true. I mean, I will say she does say hi moon Yay. every time she sees the moon and I'm like, yes. But yeah, that's it. I'm inspired, uh, particularly by the moon blood 
thing just because she's like learning about like owies and hurt and his mama yeah. hurt, his dad hurt. And we're also in the lead up to potty training. So she watches us go potty. Sure. And so when she sees my blood, I'm like, this is mama's blood and it doesn't hurt. And isn't that so beautiful? Like, doesn't hurt me. And this will come out of you. And yes, yeah. And my daughter, you know, now at seven, she's like, so excited for that time. And like, I've talked with her about how when it comes for her, we'll gather women close in our lives, and we'll wear flower crowns, and we'll light a fire. And it'll be a huge celebration and ceremony. Like I have dreams about that all the time. (gasps) Oh, my gosh, me too. Yeah. And she's so excited about it. And my son too, you know, he Yeah, where I want to know how he feels and where he's at with all of it. Yeah. So he you know, obviously, like the excitement isn't so much like part of his experience, but just the honoring, like I can see, like when he's holding that jar that he understands, you know, like he gets it. And that's, that's the huge thing. Like when you're saying she's not um, old enough, like, I have found that kids, my kids and other kids, I know, like, they are so naturally aligned with ritual and sacred space like it just comes so naturally to them it's not this mind overthinking what is this is this real is this crazy la 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 it's just like oh this is cool let's do it you know like curiosity openness like such an they've got it they've got it and so they just at least with my kids they'll just drop in you know and like they don't have all these barriers in front of them that so many of us do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the excitement over doing a ritual for their like menzies mm-hmm. is I think for me, it's rooted in like, my parents did the best they could, but like not getting that met. Um, when yeah. I first started bleeding, and I sort of had a stop, start, stop, start experience. It took a few years to really like, be a bleeding person. And I actually did a ritual in Ireland with like a shamanic woman who we replayed it. And I got to choose two strangers, these like sweet Northern Irish women to play my mother and my grandmother. And I told them exactly what to say to me. <gasps> oh, I have chill. It was so beautiful with this like beautiful Irish accents, which is part of my lineage. And I asked my mom to say like, I love you no matter what your body is sacred. And I asked my grandmother to say like, welcome to your, the lineage of women. And it was really beautiful. Wow. Yeah, that just came into my mind. This idea of like retroactive rites of passage is mm. really powerful. And why I do this workshop I do called passage craft, but um, Oh, I wanted to talk about <laughs> there's a, there's a women's gathering in um, Southern Oregon every year called spirit weavers. And I've gone a bunch and I went one year and I was asked to speak at the, I, I don't think it's called moon maidens anymore, but like the girls and non-binary young ones who are mm-hmm. in that sort of like nine to 12 range. And they had like period talk day And they wanted me to come and share about like my method of blood capture, which is sea sponges and talking about my ritual of like giving my blood to the earth. And then I also was like giving tips on like getting blood out of clothes. And we went around the circle and every little human shared their plan for when they get their period. This was before 
Atlas was embodied. And, um, and we were all talking about like rituals and these young tweens were like, (laughs) I just don't want my mom to make a big deal about it. (laughs) Whatever she does, I just don't want her to make a big deal. (laughs) But I I do want my sacred period box in my locker and I want it to be beautiful. And I want to paint flowers on it, but don't you make a big deal. And it's like, uh-huh. oh. <laughs> anyways, I just think it's so cute. And like how many of us can just like relate to that age. And I, yeah. And I wonder about that with Matilda. Like it could very well be the case that when she comes to her bleeding time, she might totally go like rogue rebel and be like, I want to use all the fucking synthetic tampons. And I want to like, <laughs> just you know, shit on all of this. And like, that's her journey. If that's her journey. Right? Totally. Full and I surrender. Think that, I think that's like actually more common than we realize with kids that are raised in kind of this way that we are raising ours is that there's that rebellion time. And like, you know, I've prepared myself, like maybe, yeah, she wants to do the flower crowns and the ceremony and the whole thing now, but like, who knows when she's, you know, eight to 12 or whenever it comes, hopefully not as young as eight. That's so wild that that happens, but that was me. Yeah. Isn't that eight and a half? Wow. Yeah. So whenever it comes, you know, meeting her where she is and like, also being able to adjust my expectation to meet her where she is. Like I'm really preparing myself for that because things can change in the blink of an eye. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or it's like, maybe it'll be a little later, you know, Mm -hmm. this whole, Mm -hmm. I was reading one of Starhawk's books where she gave a, a ritual for, I was like, this is so cool. And I don't know, I don't know any like modern kid who would say yes to this, but maybe, (laughs) but it was like, you go to the beach and the, the community is tending the fire at the other end of the beach. And it's just the, I could cry just saying this. And it's just the mother and the, the daughter or the little human. And they both take off running towards the fire. And at some point the mother stops running I feel the sob in my throat. I have chills. And the and the child runs on their own towards the fire, towards the community that will celebrate her. And then the mother walks alone. And then the aunties come out and bring her to the fire. Wow. And oh, I was like, I that would be good. Chills. Maybe Matilda will want that. Oh, blessed be that she does. Yeah, may it be so. <laughs> Prayers up for that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But surrender. Always surrender. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yes. Yes. Wow. That sounds incredible. Thank you for sharing. That. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I, I mentioned it to a fellow mama whose child had gotten her period, didn't want to make a big deal. And then a year later, cried to her mom was like, actually, I do want something. And I told her this ceremony, she told her daughter and daughter was like, no, I want to be private. I want it private. It's like, okay, okay, (laughs) whatever you want. I think they had a little ritual, just the two of them. It was so sweet. Anyways, yeah, I so appreciate you sharing 
like the practical, like what you're literally doing, because mm-hmm. I think we can romanticize this and then like life gets in the way and it's like, oh, yeah, you and know, like we're not all living in the hut. We're out on we're out on the suburban town. And like, how can we incorporate this? Yeah. And and one other thing to like normalize this, too, is like there have been times when I've attempted to do a ritual or an offering or a moon blood, something with them, and they're not into it. And I'm like. Uh, let me just take this video or smile <laughs> guy, you know, it's, and it just goes to shit and it's like, everyone's over and it's like, okay, that, that is that we will move on with our day. Like, it's not always, yes, they naturally drop in and they're so like intuitive with all of this and shit hits the fan sometimes. And that's okay too. And we just say, okay, not today. We'll come back another time. Like it's, you know, another moment will roll around soon enough. Isn't that the lesson of motherhood? Yes. Like, just keep it moving. Everything yeah. is a season. What are, like, the, the, <laughs> the, like, very classic but very deeply true things about motherhood. Like, it cha- it, get, it gets better but different. Like mm-hmm. And, like, the days are sh- long but the years are years short. Years are short. That's, that feels true. That is so real. Yeah. That's so the trippiest thing. (laughs) I know. I just want to like hold every like fourth trimester mother in my arms and be like, this will pass. I know. This will pass and then you'll kind of miss it. Yeah. One of my best friends just had a baby and, and I was literally texting her the other day. I was like, I remember feeling like it was an eternity and it would never end. And that newborn phase is the hardest but but it'll change, you know, like just trying to remember that it'll change. <laughs> yeah. So huge. Yeah. What is something you want to do, like an idea or something you want to do more of with your children and like from this sacred, magical living perspective? Mm, well, with you speaking about Ireland reminded me. So my mother line is from Sicily and, and Northern Italy as well. And so I would love to take them mm. there and just like eat pasta and be in nature and like mm. hear music and, you know, really connect with that, that part of, of us, you know, so traveling there someday t- together would be huge and even more beautiful if like my mom and sisters could come to and yeah. make a whole thing of it. And also I'd love to do more like ancestral cooking with them. And I know this is something that you're super well versed in and a lot of folks Mm. in your world. So I I definitely want to learn from you guys more about like, we cook a lot together, but I'd love to weave more story into it Mm. or like this is, you know, my, my parents even made this amazing cookbook and my sister had it printed out and made into these beautiful books. So we have all the recipes, but you know, when, when five o'clock comes around, (laughs) I dot, dot, dot. (laughs) I'm like, I don't really want to like watch you guys chop an onion for 15 minutes. If I'm honest. (laughs) So. Oh, you're telling me. Atlas cracking an egg for Sunday morning pancakes. I'm yeah. like, just give it to me. <laughs> I know. 
So yeah, you can I, watch me do it. Totally. And then like the shells are all in it. It's just like, oh God, we got to start over. But yeah, so I, I like to to find more patience with yeah. cooking and, and weave in more ancestral, ancestral, I don't know what the term is, like stories or just telling stories about, you know, they're super fortunate that um, they have three great grandparents living and all four grandparents living. Wow. So telling stories of grandparents, you know, just like bringing more ritual yeah and and sacred experience to cooking together specifically foods that come from our families um feels like something i want to move toward Mm, me too it's hard i think that's something it's hard i think it's definitely not weeknights you know but i think like take those off the table i think there's something about like Sundays that yeah. feel like that sacredness, that slowness. I mean, I don't know how Sundays are for you, but like there's something energetically about it. Mm-hmm. And then holidays, there's this whole thing. Like personally, we don't have like our family system that we um, engage with on holidays don't have like tried and true traditions. And so I've been in this whole mindset of like, well, we can create our own traditions and it can be around ancestral foods. It could be around ancestral stories and it could be creating new ancestral foods and new ancestral stories because like may our descendants tell the stories of our time and that we are ancestors too. Like that, you know, like where the myth makers were writing the tales of history to come. Mm. And so Mm. I think it can be a really beautiful frame to look at. Yeah. Those moments when it can be even if it's like a five minute story, you know, right after you talk about your day mm-hmm. around the candlelight at dinner, mm-hmm. there's opportunities there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> well, thank you so much for this conversation. You're welcome. I feel such kinship with you. And yeah, like honestly, I feel such support from you, <laughs> from you just Same. telling your truth. Same so important for us to share in this way oh thank you (laughs) yeah okay like let's tell the people where to go to get more of you so your podcast a wave away yep i have a podcast a wave away it's about so many things it's about womanhood and motherhood somatic and spiritual healing plant medicine just like the journey of self-awareness and self-inquiry it's Becca has been on it, as you mentioned earlier. Um, but yeah, I've got that. And then you can find everything that I do on my website, waverlydavis.com. And then I'm on Instagram at Hey Waverly Davis. You can find all of my stuff there. I do sound baths. Primarily, I'm just back to doing them in person again. So and where are you located? I'm in Central Virginia. <laughs> I do travel a little for those, but I mostly do them around this area. And then I've started to actually assemble a collection of essays all about a lot of what we talked about today around motherhood, around being a mother, being a daughter, my journey with that. So I don't really know what that will come to me it's very it's very new and um I'm really just at the beginning of it but that feels really like I'm moving a lot towards that and and really moving a lot towards 
just this this work of of the mother and and what that means and how we can hold space for that yeah what does that mean i think it takes a (laughs) lifetime to know totally does that mean well thank you for being here and exploring all of this with me thank you for having me becca it's been such a joy Thank you so much for joining me. In a time when our attention is being pulled in so many different directions, it means a lot that you took time out of your day to spend it with me and in these important conversations. For show notes and links and more information about my guests, you can head to belongingpodcast.com. And if you'd like to hear more from me and get access to my free newsletter called Slow and Seasonal, you can head to beccapiastrelli.com slash subscribe.